What an amazing morning it's already been, celebrating together just the things that God is doing and to be able to pray with Nadia, just the exciting adventure that God is preparing for her and uh, hear some of her story and know that, again, there are so many stories of the ways that God is speaking and moving in people's lives. Uh, she has a special calling that she's stepping into, but it's no greater or lesser than any of us in the invitation that God has placed before us to step into His kingdom and His presence and His mission and the, the people that He's surrounded you with to be pouring into and, and trying to share the love of Jesus with them. Each of us are called to be a part of spreading the gospel and the love of Jesus wherever we are and to listen to the Spirit as He speaks and is leading our lives. God is good. And He is alive, and He is working, He is inviting us to see what He is doing too. Amen. We'll turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 4 and 5, and we're going to be stepping into uh, the Word together to seek to understand a little bit more clearly this calling that we're talking about, this invitation that God is putting in front of us. We've been talking this year about the idea of sacred presence. This invitation that God has placed before us to be and to bring a spiritual presence into a world filled with darkness, to be a light and a place of, of holiness and hope to a world that is lost, to be a, a people of love and peace, bringing the presence of Jesus into the lives of the people around us. And we've been looking at this idea in different ways, talking about the fruit of the Spirit at the start of the year and through, then through the Advent season, the, the names and the authority of Jesus. And now we've come for the last number of weeks to this series looking at the power of the presence of God. The stories of the ways that God has revealed His power and His presence in the world through people, in people. To help us see His nature and His love. And it's been an incredible series. So many profound and encouraging stories. Miracles and outpourings of mercy from the Tower of Babel to the widow's oil. From the vision of Ezekiel to the transfiguration of Jesus. Incredible testimonies of the power of God's presence to move mountains and topple kingdoms and to just touch one life and bring hope. But today we're coming to a different kind of story. It's a hard story. It's a story that might challenge us in some really real ways. And in a sense, it's one of my favorite stories, but it's one that is really challenging to dwell on because it digs so deeply into my own heart, my motivations and my selfishness and my sin, and lays bare before me the awesome power and holiness of God and the ultimate question that I need to ask, who do I think I am? Again, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 and 5, and we're going to be exploring the story of Ananias and Sapphira as we seek to understand the power of the presence of God and what that means for us as believers as we seek to follow Him and to show others who He is, to be that sacred presence 
and the holiness of God that is meant to be living in us. Now this story happens pretty early in the life of the church. Their numbers are growing, their influence and their message is spreading and they're getting pushback from from the Romans and from the Jewish leaders. They're getting arrested, they're getting beaten, they're getting threatened. And God is moving in incredible ways at this time and they're seeing miracles and healings and whole crowds of people are coming to faith. It's really exciting, it's really amazing and Peter and John here in this story, are they're out preaching. And they get hauled before the authorities and they have this amazing exchange with the Jewish leaders. We don't have time to read all these things this morning. Dig into the rest of chapter 4 here and all of, I mean, read the Bible. It's great. But Acts chapter 4 is, is kind of has lots of these amazing pieces. And they have this amazing exchange and they're being threatened. And they're standing up for the gospel and eventually... They're released and they go back and they meet with this church and they have this amazing time of prayer together. And I encourage you to go read that at the end of chapter 4 there and just read that prayer and pray through that prayer together. And the things that they're inviting, they're being attacked and they're praying for even more opportunities to preach within that. They want more. And he says, now Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed. And as they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. God's Spirit is moving in power. It's so wonderful, and the gospel is being preached, and it's encouraging, and it's uplifting. And the Spirit starts to move even further in the church, filling people with a passion to pour into the kingdom and to see the church grow. But at the same time, the stage is now being set here within all of this for this stark reminder that as exciting as all of this is, As exciting as following together and seeing the kingdom grow is, we can never lose sight of the holiness and the power of the God that we serve. Of the seriousness of what we're talking about when we talk about God. Let's read the story together this morning. Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 32. And we're going to flow into chapter 5 then. I need a drink here. I never need to sip while we're up here, but... Talking too much. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She said, yes, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church. And all who heard about these events. Amen. Tithe or die, people. <laughs> Let's get the offering plates out here. Away we go. Now that is obviously not the point of this story. <laughs> but it is a wild story that I have heard presented in so many dangerous and unhealthy ways. I've heard pastors browbeating churches into giving or tithing more when the truth of this story has nothing to do with that. That's not what we're talking about. It's so much deeper and more profound than that. And it's fundamentally asking that question that I asked earlier. Who do we think we are? And who do we think God is? What do we think about Him? But again, this story flows out of this whirlwind of excitement and passion that is filling the church in this season. Whole crowds are coming to faith in Jesus. The Bible talks about thousands of people being added to their number at different points as they're out and preaching and hearing the gospel. And there's persecution fueling the fire of commitment in the church. And there's just this huge spirit of faith and generosity. And Luke is telling us this amazing story of the passion and sacrifice in the church to show the love of Jesus in real and practical ways. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work among them. And there was no needy persons among them from time to time. Those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales. And they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And that spirit is alive here today in this church family. 
I want to encourage you this morning. Here at LFC, this church family is amazing. You are living in that same spirit, building the kingdom that Luke is bragging about here in this passage. You are a part of that. There's no, there was no food bank at the time. There was no social programs, no hub, no government programs. So our role is a little bit different in modern society. But still, I just met this last week with a family who was in need and we were able to share resources with them and help them as a church family. Every dollar and every ounce of energy we have as a church, every resource we have as a church family is used to build the kingdom. Exactly like they did. 100% of our budget is missions. Everything we do, it's all kingdom. From the people that come in this building, to the people that live in our community, to the people around the world, we exist to worship God and to build His kingdom, to walk intimately with God and to invite others with us on that journey, to seek and to save the lost, to bring hope and healing to a world that so desperately needs it. And people, that is happening. For real, it is happening here. Again, we shared with a family that was hurting, and that happens uh, from time to time here. We have those needs in our family, but it's smaller things as well, things we don't necessarily think about. We had the senior high retreat a couple of weeks ago. We had over 20 young people go on that retreat to spend time away, out of context, and to hear the gospel and the love of Jesus for their life. And not all of them could afford to go, and your generosity allows us to say, we don't care, we just want you there. We want you to hear that Jesus loves you and the things that he has in store for you. And guys, you would not believe the stories that our leaders hear from some of these young people, stories of abuse, horrendous, horrendous things. And we're able to walk with them and share love and life, help them find resources and to care for them. Jesus is changing lives at these retreats. You are helping that to happen. We had our women's retreat a number of weeks ago. And again, not everybody can afford to be a part of these things. And so many of you stepped up and paid for so many extra people to go because we just want people there. We want them to hear and experience the love of Jesus. To have a time away to rest and reflect and know the mission that he is building for them. Our seniors lunch just this last week, amazing conversations and just a chance for people, some of whom are very lonely and isolated, to enjoy community and worship and just a good meal, to hear the love of Jesus spoken over them. And even just this building, these walls, that the early church could not have imagined gathering in a space like this to gather and worship and to serve our community in the open, they had no idea. They had to meet in secret, hiding away. They couldn't fathom this. And we have this wonderful space for anyone to come and find worship and fellowship and to care for one another, for our kids to learn about Jesus and just have fun together as they did on Friday night. For youth and young people from our community to connect and find hope and healing that God loves them. For our young adults and their Bible studies and the wonderful things that they get to do for our men and women and seniors. And just to be able to bless our community and allow them to encounter the love of Jesus even just with a building. The funerals that we hold here for people that have no church context whatsoever. Walking through unbelievably difficult times. And just to share this space with them. 
to allow them to enter this sacred space and to encounter the love of God is so profound and so powerful. Things like Canadian blood services, and we had a group of quilters in here yesterday, and all kinds of community groups having meetings and getting together, and they, when they come in this space, they encounter the love of Jesus through your work and faithfulness here. God is moving in amazing ways. Your faithfulness, your sacrifice is standing together in the spirit of this early church that Luke is talking about. And together we are building the kingdom. We are transforming lives. God is transforming lives through you and your work here. God is good. Thank you. We are connected by the Spirit with these first early believers who were just beginning this journey with Jesus and building the church. And may you experience the blessings of God and the joy in the Spirit as we give and serve and work together to build His kingdom for His glory. Amen. For His glory. Ananias and Sapphira saw what was happening. And they wanted in on the action too, but they missed the point. We are reminded just how serious God is about all of this. About holiness and the cost of sin in the church and in our own lives. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now I wonder if Maybe Peter and John were a little clumsy. And maybe they made just a little bit too big of a deal about Joseph's offering. Sometimes we do that as people. Jesus told us the parable of the widow's might, that the tiniest gift given in faith is no lesser in the Father's eyes than a millionaire giving whole properties or whatever. But we're broken people and we get excited about the big gift. And that's one of the reasons that we keep things anonymous here and we don't do designated giving. We're not going to have the Dustin Strauss Library or the Penny Carlton Foyer because it's about God. It's all His. It's for Him. And we want each gift, each tithe, each ounce of effort and moment of time to be from that person's heart as they present it to God in their act of worship and submission to the kingdom, to Him, to His mission and His church. So maybe the church was really excited about this gift from Joseph. And maybe they made a little bit of a big deal. Maybe not. We don't know. But we know how people can be and we know how we can be. And at the very least, Ananias and Sapphira thought that Joseph got some attention that they envied. And they wanted some recognition too. They wanted attention as well. And so they lied. They sold their land and they gave to the church good things. Wonderful things. But then they did a very weird thing. And they kept some of the money for themselves, which was fine. 
but they said they gave it all. And it realized, we realized that it wasn't about God, it was about themselves, it wasn't about the kingdom. It was about their glory. They weren't giving to God, they were buying attention. And it cost them their lives. Why did they lie? It was a generous gift regardless. Peter says the land was theirs. The money was theirs to do with as they wished. There was no expectation from the church. They didn't have to give it all. It was theirs to do with. However, why did they lie? And the answer is easy. It was about the attention and the adoration, of course. They wanted people to be impressed, and that's easy to see and to understand. But at the same time, the more we ask ourselves that question, why did they lie? The more time we spend pondering that, the more the Spirit is going to start opening up your own heart. And pulling out your own insecurities and the things that you would do that are the exact same. That also don't make any sense. That we would put someone down to build ourselves up. That we would lie to make ourselves look good. That we would steal just a little bit because we're scared of not having enough that you would use or manipulate a relationship to get what you want because you don't think you're worth love or help. The list goes on and on, the ways that we lie and cheat and steal and hurt in big ways and especially in little ways. To try to make ourselves look a little better, to try to make ourselves okay, to try to be enough. The author John Ortberg has an amazing quote from his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says, human conversation is largely an endless attempt to convince others that we are more assertive or clever or gentle or successful than they might otherwise think if we did not carefully educate them. And it's true. We struggle so much with our own identity, with feeling like we're good enough, with needing to impress and convince others of our worth and value, trying to convince ourselves, trying to convince God that we're good enough. And Jesus is just begging us to stop and let Him be enough. To know that he created us to be enough, made in his image, loved with an infinite love, saved by an infinite grace. And all of that paints a very relatable and sympathetic picture of Ananias and Sapphira because who among us hasn't bent the truth to convince someone else that we are more than we are in some way? To convince ourselves convince God that we're good enough, that we're doing enough. But in this story, God took their lives. 
And in that instance, our insecurity and the casual and sympathetic way we see our own sin, all the things that we excuse crashes headfirst into the holiness of God. As I paint that picture of how understandable and even just silly the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was, it was just a little lie. And they were still giving to the church. It's just their insecurities. We can understand. We're reminded of just who God is. His power and control and holiness. His pure perfection and the weight of the relationship that He has invited us into. The holiness of God is not a joke. His love is boundless. His mercy and grace are limitless. His forgiveness is available to all and eternal life is given to anyone who asks. But the cost was the life of His Son That grace is free, but it was not cheap. And the abundant life he invites us to know is his, not ours. And when we choose to accept his grace, we leave our life behind and let him take it. We let him be God again. So easily we excuse our sin. We play with temptation. We treat our sin like a child hiding behind our hands, closing our eyes and thinking we've disappeared. If I can't see you, you can't see me. We act like it's not a big deal. Their lie didn't even hurt anybody. The apostles got money for the ministry. What's the problem? And they got what? A little attention? What's the big deal? They didn't see that they had taken God's place. They had tried to take His glory for their own, and rather than give glory to God, they tried to buy it for themselves. And in the light of a holy and almighty God, their sin was great indeed and should give us deep cause for reflection. Who do I think I am? Who do we think we are? And who do we think we're dealing with when we come to worship together? We're talking about the power of the presence of God and we've been looking at these amazing and exciting stories and it's easy for us to get mixed up and put things backwards thinking that God is doing these amazing things for us. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that it's all about Him. He is God. He is the point. He is the focus. And it is at His name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for His glory forever. God has saved us. And He is protecting us. He is walking with us. But not for our benefit. For His glory. From beginning to end, life is about Him. And as we submit to that, as we embrace that, as we fall into that like Jesus did, we will know a life more abundant and full than we can imagine. 
Because a life lived in relationship with God, in worship and humility and submission and love, is a life filled with the Spirit and made whole. A life dedicated to the glory of God. Bringing Him worship and praise and honor because He is worthy. Because He is holy. What do we do with a story like this? We have to let the Spirit work in our hearts to remind us of how subtle and destructive sin can be in our lives, to let God reveal to us the places that we are hiding from Him. Our fears and our insecurities and our selfishness that can cost us so much more than we understand. We need to see the power of the presence of God is real and it works both ways. For a heart that is yielded to Him, His holiness and presence will refine us. But if our heart is hard, His holiness will burn us away. God is love and He desires relationship with you. He wants to shape and mold you into the image of Jesus to bring forgiveness and freedom into your life. 2 Peter 3 says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira reminds us of the righteousness of God, that it is real, and He seeks to set us free if we will just hear His voice and seek His face and follow. Do you want that? Pray together. Father God, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for stories and testimonies like this, as hard as they are, and as scary as it can be. But God, you are not vindictive. You are not cruel. You are holy. And your holiness cannot abide sin. And God, we pray your forgiveness in our lives. We pray that you would burn away the places that we are hiding from you, the sins that we are clinging to, just because we like them, just because it makes us feel good, or because we're afraid of what life will look like if we let them go. Father, we pray that you would help us to see and understand that you are enough and that in you we are enough. We don't need the adoration of others. We don't need to bring this attention for ourselves. We don't need to try to convince anyone that we're okay. God, you say we are enough in you. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, that his blood covers our sin, that his holiness and righteousness are given to us, that we can be in relationship with you. Father, we pray humility. We pray submission and that we would embrace the holiness and the life that you desire for us because it is good. And you are good. And you are enough. Help us to see and understand that we can share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.